Wow. Folks, welcome, hello, good morning to Coffee Break. And we are joined by none other than Santa Claus. Amazing. <laughs> um, wow, amazing. What, a, what an introduction. Uh, I'm Spencer Campbell. This is Coffee Break. It's a uh, once-a-week hangout I have with uh, my good friends in the indie RPG design space. Uh, it's just a chance for me to hang out catch up with my friends, not like an interview show, or drinking a cup of coffee, or whatever it is we want, and hanging out with folks. And today I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Santa Claus, aka Jeremy Gage. Welcome, Jeremy. <laughs> oh, the goodest boy. Uh, this is amazing. Uh, Jeremy, Who uh, for, for folks who might not be familiar with you, uh, can you give yourself a brief introduction? Listen to I'm the host of the Brian Guys podcast. Spencer, uh, indie tabletop game designers who uh, just so that newer designers or older designers who are in rut uh, can find new inspirations and insights and work processes to make your own games, help people make games, help facilitate other support things. Uh, and I'm also the co-host of the Tabletop Colin Show alongside Adam Bell. Shout out to Adam in the chat. Uh, and that is a talk show where we do the classic call in, give us a question. We'll give you our <laughs> best answer. Uh, and then we also have some off weeks where we just do design chatter about our own stuff. So heck yeah, that's me in a nutshell. Uh, I accidentally had your volume down really low at the very beginning of your introduction, but I fixed it halfway through. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully folks got the gist of it uh there in the end or could use context clues to figure out the rest <laughs> i'm really good at streaming jeremy if you can't tell i'm <laughs> so actually. good at it um that's i mean what a wonderful beard what a wonderful introduction um tomorrow's tabletop call-in show isn't it that is correct is it a is it tomorrow call-in day or is it a hangout day uh, I put you on the spot. Adam Bell. Adam answer, Adam is, is here. Call -in, is it call-in or is it design chatter? I think it I think it might be design chatter. I think we did Adam says call-in day. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> call-in day tomorrow. Uh it's going to be a little bit later uh of a show cuz I have to pick up Grace from the bus station. Mm. Grace is my partner for those who don't know. Uh but she'll be coming home from Pittsburgh. Nice. Ooh, MV says that they're going to or they need to call in tomorrow. Have to call in. Gotta call in. Gotta get MV on the line. It's been oh, a while. That would be lovely. Uh, well, hello and uh, good morning and welcome and happy Boxing Day to folks who celebrate Happy Boxing Day. Um, congratulations on making it to Boxing Day. I, I still don't know what it is exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw Adam's tweet and then I was like, hmm. Okay. Is it literal boxing. I, I remember um, I was talking with Kat about it last week on Coffee Break, and she was mentioning that it's just kind of like a chill holiday in like she, like in Canada, I think the UK maybe as well. It's just like a chill day of like catching up, which makes sense. Christmas could be a lot. Christmas could be a lot, and then sometimes you just want a chill day after that. There are so many other days outside 
or so many other traditions and rituals outside of Christmas. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. Seems unbelievable it. to me. I really we've been, Christianity was the only way. We've been stuck in it for so long. <laughs> ah, it's uh, it's play, it's pajama and play with your toys day. That's what I'm being told in chat. That makes sense. Ooh. Or box with your max. Could be either one. I think I think both are possible. What are you sipping on, Jeremy? Lemon water. I already had my caffeinated beverage mm. this morning since I had to take out the doggies today. That's right. You're doing like some dog sitting, right? Mm-hmm. Nice. I nice, have nice, Mackie nice. here with us today. And then I had to go visit a dog named Sammy today to take them out and feed them. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, Sundays are tricky because it's coffee break, so I like want to have coffee like during it, but also I'm like I've been awake for two and a half hours, and I'm like, no, oh, this is like a long time to be awake yeah. <laughs> without any of this coffee thing. I can see into forever. <laughs> so how you been? I I you know it's been a while since you and I have just had a chance to catch up, so I'm just excited to just hang out and chat with you. How's things? Yeah. I've been uh, I've been okay. We, we're getting some gr- now that I have an income source that is the doggos. Uh, a little bit more pressure has been taken off. For those who don't know, I used to work in the restaurant industry for a really long time until the top of uh, 2020 when I quit my job in January and I was had a decent amount of money saved up. I was going to take like two months off to like think about some stuff and figure something out. And then came COVID, restaurants started shutting down. Uh, people didn't really know what to do with like brick and mortar jobs. And it was the only type of job I had ever known. And so that kind of like rid, uh, we rode that until August. Obviously, anyone anyone else in America knows the timeline of the COVIDs, mm. but uh, at least the lockdown COVIDs. But long story short, I just didn't have like an attractive resume for any other position it was strictly only for restaurant related stuff which goes to show people uh restaurant job is not lateral in a lot of cases <laughs> it's not lateral it's very much you're sinking into that class and you're min maxing as hard as this possible. is your thing <laughs> um and so uh been trying to move into game design started the podcast so to bring it to the current uh, it's been good. Now that some income is coming, I'm able to like focus on my game. I'm trying. I'm writing other supplements for a couple other projects. Um, doing the tabletop Colin show has been really cool, and I have some really cool stuff, weaselly things planned for like weaselly February. Things. Yeah, weaselly things. We for for folks who don't know, uh, like so, Jeremy mentioned that he does like writing and supplements for other stuff. Uh, if you like any of the GM stuff or enemies and things like that in Nova, you have Jeremy to thank for that. Uh, I got to the point with Nova where I made the sparks and the core rules and like the concepts. And then I was like, ah, shit, this is the part that I don't like doing, which is coming up with like enemy stats and things like that. And I love it. And Jeremy loves it and is very good at it. And so if you like any of this cool tech in here about building missions or, like, if you love these enemies that we've been, like, talking a shit ton about on the faction turn, like Caro and Zircon, Jeremy is the one that you should be thanking for all of that. It's so, not just me. It's the editorial work editorial work of Will Yopes. It true. is the art of Eddie York that is sending the dream sky high. So... I only did this. Well, you did the skeleton, so I just added some meat to the bones. 
That's right. It was a, it was a, it was a hell of a team. Hell of, like what a team. What a team Nova was. Like <laughs> working with you right like having the like all the GM toolkit stuff. Uh Eddie with like early art. I still talk about how Eddie's one of my favorite artists to ever work with just because of how like fun and iterative and like like cyclical we were rather than like one direction where it's like me telling him what to do. It was like, no, let's riff off of one another. And mm. it was awesome. And then Jam just being like, oh, yeah, and I'm going to produce gold. I'm just going yeah. <laughs> to just make yeah. the be most Alfie amazing thing ever. Amazing. Yeah, Jam is Jam is amazing. And if Umbral Dive ever gets to a stage where I can start making it look pretty, those are definitely two people on the top of my list. All right, let's talk about Umbral Dive because I haven't had a chance to get it on one of these playtests yet. But how, where, where is it at right now? What do you, what, what's, what's the situation? Because I've been, I've essentially been absorbing through osmosis where it is through like the call-in show and stuff like that. So I haven't had the chance to get my filthy hands on it and actually mess with it. <laughs> um, so for again, for those who don't know, Umbral Dive is my like love letter to trad tactical fantasy games like D&D or Pathfinder or things like that and takes inspirations from the class design of Final Fantasy 14 and uh so Umbral Dive is in its uh maybe eighth iteration of the combat system of its minimal minimum viable product um and you know Adam Bell once said to me that you know what I like about you is that you're not afraid to throw away huge swaths of design. I wanted to echo that sentiment because when he said that, I was like, I I can't believe. I mean, that's like the bravest move in the world. It's just been like, ah, scrap it all. Let's do it again. I'm like, Start again, dude. Oh my dude. god. In, real, in all realism, I've I've probably designed eight different games up to this point, uh, and they feel very different. Um, the current combat my mvp because i focus on such of the single unit combat stuff uh so that's where the design kind of sits until it like scales out its current design is uh we've gone away from the grid no more grid oh. i found what i'm one of the big things or one of my design wants for umbral dive is to emulate the feeling of raid fights in mmorpgs like final fantasy world of warcraft right. uh guild wars guild wars 2 because those are very different games. You have to say both. Um, and the grid was super restrictive. I was trying to be like, okay, how do I get like a coronal attack here? And I know you could be like, I don't know. Uh, you know, if the cone hits this square, it's the whole square. And sure, I get that. But in raids, the dance of positioning is so crucial to the feeling of the game. So we got rid of the grid, no hexes, no squares. Uh, it's going to be ruler movement, so we're nice. going traditional wargaming stuff. And honestly, uh, it was terribly liberating uh, to execute <laughs> gameplay in that way. And when I had first brought up the idea to Adam, Adam Bell, um, Adam had talked about in the past a and d game of his, the GM didn't really like the grid either, so they strictly used like one-inch movement mm. with a ruler, and it felt a lot better. And I also like kind of doing the mental model of it. I feel like like 60-foot distance translates to what? Uh, it's five feet per 12 square. 12 inches then? 12 inches, yeah, exactly. So a foot, right? 
60, 60 feet is a foot in, in wargaming terms. So I just feel like it's so much more liberating to like say, okay, I've got this circle AOE that mm. I'm trying to do fireball, right? Let me just take a ruler and measure the distance of the circle and see how many battles I can get into instead of saying like, ooh, does it hit that square, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I just think that's a little bit more like freeing. And also you can, then you don't have to worry about like, the funky stuff of getting a battle mat yeah. out and seeing that, oh, this square is like inside of a wall. So can I move into that square? Can I not move into that square? Can I like press myself into the wall? There's right. a little bit of like loss of verisimilitude. Verisimilitude. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever uh, that word is. Yeah. Whatever that strong V word is. It's Sunday um, morning. Leave us alone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. First bit, first bit of umbral dive, no grid thoughts. I love it. So I'm, and also thank you for throwing thoughts back at me. <laughs> I, yeah. You, you're a good host. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, because, so before I got into role-playing games, I was really into board games, but also into war games. So I played a lot of those like tabletop skirmisher war game sort of things and like a million different ones and there were some that had like gridded maps and stuff and then some that were just like you're measuring it out and you've got like little plastic circles to show area of effect you know blast radiuses and stuff like that and those were always infinitely more interesting to me and more engaging and I was do we we started doing like role playing before we realized it was role playing with those games where we would be like pretending to be like the people in these games with that stuff because it just felt more it felt more real like it was just like oh yeah this is what it would actually kind of like look and feel like if we were able to like truly just move wherever we wanted to without mm -hmm. like a a box that we have to live in and like I'm in this box and like it's just it just never worked well with me. And mm -hmm. I, so I admittedly have never played an MMORPG. Um, I've like done like the first couple of levels of a couple of them, but so I've never gotten to the point where I've raided. Um, but I've, I've talked to you a number of times and, and I have a, a general sense of how a raid feels. And I feel like you will have such a better time capturing that with that free flow space of being able to kind of just move around and measure things with rulers and use like little templates and stuff like that, as opposed to trying to make it fit into the box of a grid. Um, I love it. I'm, I'm all for it. Um, my question to you is, uh, so is the GM, is this, is it GM then? Like, is the GM the, the raid boss or is it good? Are you going to have like a, a boss AI and it's like got its own, like what's what's that then like? Because here's my question. Because I think MV is also asking it, which is, it's a, have you gone full war game? I'm I'm wondering is like <laughs> where are we seeing? Is this just a? And I'm, I don't I shouldn't say just a war game. I'm saying like, are you making a war game right now, Jeremy, or are you making <laughs> something that has some of that stuff that we maybe like see in a role playing game? Like, where what what's what's your thought there? Yeah, I think what's nice is that that ties into the second thing I was going to bring was another thing that I found frustrating when trying to translate traditional models is turn order. Mm. Um, having 
to to give an example of a MMO fight, we're going to use kind of the first uh, boss you fight, first trial boss you fight, Ifrit in Final Fantasy. Mm. Uh, at basic, Ifrit has uh, three moves. Uh, there is, it has an auto attack that keeps going, so it keeps putting pressure on the tank and the healers to heal up the tank. Okay. Um, but then at some point it does like a flame cone breath. That is like a pretty big area uh, in front of it. So even if you're tanking, it would hit people behind the tank, like other melee or like closer range characters. Mm. So ideally you turn the boss around and you do a tank and spank is the terminology for it. Um, So that's how you avoid that one mechanic. Uh, Another mechanic it has is called eruption where it targets the two furthest ranged players with very big AOE circles Mm. that drop after the cast. So basically, it's like the players are dropping a bomb somewhere, and then everyone else has to avoid that. And then on top of that, the people who it's dropped on top of have to run out of that circle. So you can't like overlap each other right. um, by too much, or you'll take two eruptions, or the area you have to dodge is much larger. And the last one is a um, that I'll bring up is a mechanic where halfway through the fight, like a fifty percent health. Ifrit will uh, summon an Infernal Nail, which has its own health, uh, and then it'll start casting an ability called Hellfire. If that nail is not destroyed by the time Hellfire finishes casting, uh, which is a terminology called a DPS check, Mm. uh, it will wipe the whole raid and you'll have to start over. (laughs) So to talk about the GM and AI and turn order mechanics Mm. all in one thing, Going one player at a time doesn't work for that model. You can't have like the barbarian go, then the ranger go, then the boss goes, initiates this style of stuff, then the wizard goes. Like, how does everyone get time to dodge or position or use attacks? So uh, I am doing an interlevied pattern structure, and we're doing like Magic the Gathering style phases. So there are four phases in the combat. There's, and this ties into your question about like, is it a GM game or is it an AI game? Um, the first phase is upkeep. We look at all the dots, hots, conditions, and we like sort of resolve all that math or whatever, hit points, whatever call you. Uh, and then the next phase is foe declaration pattern. So basically what I've made is there's a little board that every player will have, including the GM, and it has token spaces on it. And each token space is representative of one second up to six seconds. And you can kind of think about it as building a timeline or uh, coding a program. Hmm. So the GM or the book will show you the pattern. If this is your first time engaging with an enemy or a boss, there's a blind side to the token. So it just says the name of the attack. And you won't get any like additional data. Once uh, once the GM or the book has laid out all six attacks, they'll show the they'll show the whole team their board. Then all the players get to plan their patterns based on the pattern of the boss. So then they get to put all their tokens down, and be like, okay, this is what I want to execute this round. Then when all the players have put their tokens on the board, we then go second by second, and everyone engages their actions. There's no changing of actions in between. This is how you're planning for the pattern. There's different types of tokens. Uh, 
you get to there's movement tokens where you get to move a whole inch but on every second you get to move a quarter of an inch regardless of what token you have placed you have attack tokens you have uh, quick tokens you have um utility tokens that you have to spend for like defensive actions or buffs or something like that and the players will always go first in that second and then the boss will do its thing and so it's this like second by second mm. look at the game and for the what i have thinking so far is that for the guided or co-op version i'll have scripts mm. where it'll showcase this action you'll see it like on a page instead of like on the board it's like this is the pattern of this attack or of this or whatever um and then everyone will have to respond uh, appropriately and you could like design your own you could i think what i would like to do in the future is if i do that style of content that when people homebrew there's a space for them to put their own patterns of bosses that they can put up so people can do like challenges it's like hey some person in canada created this really cool monster and pattern let's see if we can co-op beat it right like people's own made-up trials right for the gm'd version if you don't want to follow a pattern certain you'll be shown all the patterns of the boss and each pattern will have charges so i can only execute this pattern a number of times until all of the patterns have been used then i can start the cycle again so it keeps the gm from uh basically when you're picking an action you're picking a pattern yeah and then you can only use that a certain amount of times until all the patterns are used then players will have the ability to sort of like learn the patterns do it again um so that's to answer the GM question. Yeah. That there's interlevied turn structure, uh, and on top of that, the GM gets to pick patterns, not uh, specific actions. That sounds so fucking cool. <laughs> Can I tell you, Jeremy? <laughs> like, you you always bring this like in like every time I've talked with you about design stuff, you have some tech that i've like never even considered or never even heard of like um the impulse initiative yeah. like thing that you talked to <laughs> I me love about it but it was not gonna work dude. <laughs> <laughs> it was but still like looking at that i was like this is unbelievable like because it's it's not like that you found that in a design book that wasn't related necessarily to role-playing games but you're like this is a thing that is like in other games how could we use this tech and it's mm -hmm. so cool to me every single time where you're bringing this very interesting inspirational tech from like other spaces like you're you're truly doing a, a cool job of capturing the mmo raid boss thing and this is the eighth iteration now of umbral dive this, this, is, this is where we're at that is so cool um i i had to write myself down some notes because there were like you there were so many interesting things that you were saying i was like i gotta i'm not gonna remember all this stuff um <laughs> The, the first thing I want to talk about is, like, the idea of learning enemies. Because I think this is the thing that you are now the second person that I have seen doing something that directly mechanically has this idea of, like, you are learning what an enemy can do with combat. And as you learn that, like, as eventually you, you can see what the whole pattern is and everything, you can then start to adopt, like... Just like in a raid boss, like you have no fucking clue what's going on the first time. You're just gonna get your ass kicked a bunch, and then eventually, like, oh, we know what, we know what to expect. And mm -hmm. the other game that we see that in is in Souls-like games. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like Chris Bazette with the Dice Souls 
uh, core rules that just came out has rules in there about eventually you just learn how to kill this enemy. And so eventually you don't have to fight this thing anymore. You just, you go, mm -hmm. oh, I've killed this thing a million times. It's also killed me a million times. I murder it. Um, I think that's so cool. I want to, I want to see, I don't, maybe not, it's not a universal thing, but I just, I want to see more people playing in that space of like, that's a, that's a form of rewarding players is it doesn't mm. always have to be like numbers go up, even though I'm the Lumen guy and I always want new numbers to go up. Like that's also <laughs> a reward is like, no, you're just going to be really good at this because you've learned how to be really good at this. Like you've, you learn and adapt. I think it's cool. Oh, MB says that it's in Photon. Hell yeah. Good. Excellent. That's what I'm saying. More people need to do this. So good. I'm glad other people are doing it. Uh, I've done nothing with it, but I just see other people doing it and I'm inspired by them. Um, is, is Umbral Dive all boss fights? No. So that's the third like key design Excellent. one for Umbral Dive. Great question, Spencer. I'm on it. <laughs> Um, the last piece is sort of what leaves me, I think all three of these pieces are what I'm personally unsatisfied with the current traditional fantasy model of games. Mm. D&D, Pathfinder, Numenera is also sort of an example. They don't really use a grid, but um, just games like that where it's like grid-based, skill lists, um, things like that. Yeah. And so one of my design want, design wants is to really look at the scope of outcomes over time in uh, an adventure or a campaign. This is sort of uh, inspired by Band of Blades a little bit, but for example, in D&D 5e, the skill system, to the D20 skill system where it's pass-fail, it's binary. Mm. And, and that's not necessarily bad. It doesn't have to be. I know it gets a bad rap sometimes. Um, <laughs> But what it's really good at is moment, moment to moment action. So I want to pick this lock. I want to break down the door. I want to, uh, I want to stealth my way around this corner, things like that. Mm. What I find less satisfying is the more like nebulous uh, skills. So uh, you might have a good argument for like, oh, I want to persuade the merchant to give me uh to haggle to haggle with the merchant right, right. And make a persuasion check and that's also like a fine moment to moment thing but then the real question comes into like oh we want to ask the king for help mm. and i have to roll a perception or a persuasion or a deception check or an intimidation check or whatever my gm asks of me in that moment uh to have that succeed and on a pass fail after maybe like helping the king with like a dungeon or you know routing the guard or something like that like you've done stuff for the king uh but it's still down to a single role and right. you know the gm could say something like oh the dc is smaller because you've done all these things or blah blah blah. but right. at the end of the day it's still down to one role and then one you role even... and you're not even sure how much the dc has been affected because it's not like it's, it's... being actively like tracked by you as a player and the gm right. <laughs> Bruh. <laughs> don't get me started on guest difficulty roles. I don't like it. Um, one of the few reasons I don't run D one of the many reasons I don't run D. &D but um, so what I want to do is look at what does what does how do small outcomes weigh in on larger outcomes? Mm. So 
it's kind of like this trickling, maybe trickle up bucket, trickle trickle down bucket, this hierarchical thing where like, uh, inspired by Band of Blades, you have like a major campaign goal that happens like in a month, mm. right? And below that, you maybe have like four adventures, let's say, and each one takes a week. And then below that, within each adventure, there's maybe like two or three dungeons. And then below that, there's like the number of encounters that are possible in that adventure. So it's like the scaling system. Mm. And basically what you're doing is sort of a skill challenge on a grander level, or the idea behind it is a grander level with like, oh, we succeeded in this dungeon. So that gives us a success on our adventure. Uh, we successfully did all the dungeons. So we get a full success on this adventure that trickles up to uh, the campaign or whatever. Or we did all the encounters, got the dungeon, did the adventure, scales up to the campaign, right? And we do this over the course of the entire campaign. And numbers are loose here. Mm. But let's say it's a D100 roll for the whole adventure right and every time you get a success you bring that down by five so yeah. you start at 100 come down by five if you successfully do the whole thing your dc comes down to like i don't know a 50 i'm making it up i sure. don't know how much is what someone else can do the math but the what i wanted to emulate is like how do all these small things add up to a big thing and then how you hedge your bets now, the other reason I'm doing this is because uh, death is not permanent in, in Umbral mm. Dive, ideally. It's simulating the raid respawn, right? I, we couldn't beat the boss because we didn't know its pattern. Right. Uh, we weren't, like, strategically smart enough to sort of, like, play safely or play blindly. Um, so there's a fail state for bosses because the other thing that's a part of raiding is that all bosses have a time limit. Uh, not all bosses. Easier bosses have no time limit. But mm. harder bosses have time limits attached to them. You have 12 minutes to beat this boss, or it's a no-go. You're right. done. Uh, or, you know, DPS checks. If you're if you don't beat this mechanic in a certain amount of rounds, it's a wipe. So, for example, that Ifrit fight on normal has no time limit, but in Final Fantasy, it has two other uh, difficulties called hard and extreme. And in extreme, I believe the time limit is maybe 12. 10 minutes or something like that mm. so in umbral dive i would say something like hey you have to beat this boss in 10 rounds right like you have to make sure that you're making your and uh there's no health there's threshold checks as like to keep dps so if you did let's say 70 damage in that whole round of the pattern that's a success if mm. you didn't it's not a success and you have to make a certain amount of excesses to beat the boss not a certain amount of hp you right. just have to make sure you're getting to that threshold to say you're doing enough damage over the course of the fight. I That's like sort that of a lot. where my mind is at. Um, and so it's this whole thing about like scaling up and down. I'm sorry, I lost track of the question. I love it. I don't care. I, my question was <laughs> about is it all boss fights? Uh, but we okay, got it. <laughs> okay, cool. Yes, it is not all boss fights. You can easily interweave. Um, like fetch quests if you want you could easily interweave like gauntlet encounters mm. um and just things of that nature like you could whatever fits inside of the adventure or dungeon scope of like think of the dungeon section of that tree as the quest mm. section mm -hmm. and everything below that is like collect eight apples or some shit like that right please don't do that that's not i don't see that as a i don't know adabelle says tactical fetch quest i think this could be <laughs> i think he's onto something here uh 
but the D100 system is not like uh, the final, yeah. I think that's still a little too binary for that stuff. I think what I might do is like a success band thing where um, you get like bonuses or minuses and then you make a roll and if you land within a certain success range, you'll get some sort of like, the world will change in some way, right? If we take that same example of the king, we reach the end of the month and uh, we make our roll and maybe even if we low really low, something should change. It's like uh, we appreciate all you've done. The the country is like better off for these sort of like spheres that you've dealt with, or reality marbles, or whatever it is. Um, but I can't, I can't willingly sacrifice my limited amount of troops to go fight mm. this war that you want to do. Right? right? Like they will probably be like I don't know. You'll have cheaper prices in the town, or like they'll love you, but like they just cannot personally go fight for five adventurers. Right. right? Um, they have a whole country to worry about so stuff like that so that's all to say that like it adds up to looking at time and looking at these micro actions that Mm. a lot of traditional rpgs i guess do well in some circumstances but on the bigger scope of things like skill challenges just don't really do it for me and to binary pass fail a sort of like campaign or story defining moment it doesn't feel feel like justice right. for all the work we did for it with, with no way of as a player knowing how much you've been contributing or chipping away at your ability to be better at the big shot the big thing the big ask or whatever it is it all it, it you just lose that 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 weight i'm so excited to hear you say that you're using stuff like this um i i did something similar with drifters um mm-hmm. where the gameplay loop of drifters is you you roll up into a town and there's a a problem mm-hmm. some sort of horrible weird thing is going on in this town um and you could if you wanted to just go straight to the big bat or straight to the corruption and try and fight it it's going to be miserable for you you're going to get your ass kicked probably and it's sort of represented by clocks um mm-hmm. and so like there's the big clock and then you go on these uh what I call patrols, like little side quests sort of things to like slowly chip away at it. And as you're finishing those, each of them has a certain number of segments of the big clock that they fill. So you do certain jobs to like slowly chip away. And then you can decide at any time, now's now's when we're going to try and take on this thing. Like you could, in theory, just chip away until it's all gone. It's just you doing small quests the entire time in the town. Or... You could do a couple of them, and then you're like, okay, I think we've weakened the thing. Let's go deal with the thing now. Um, and then you, you can actually see as players, like, ah, we are filling in the clock. We can, we can, we can like, t- like, tangibly feel our progress, and like our actions mean something in the grander scheme of this, as opposed to just a bunch of isolated small things that lead to a roll out of context. So mm-hmm. I love it, man. I'm, I'm super into it. Yeah, it was it was sort of initially inspired by a smaller mechanic that I found on the internet. I think the blog is called Angry GM, and uh, he writes about this thing called tension dice, mm. where um, you know you always run into, especially with D and D five E, which is I think mostly what his blog is about. Though he talks about a lot of other games. That's why he's angry. Uh, um, but talks about how there's always this finicky wiggle room of like you know 
I cast death ward on everybody, right? So you're going into the dungeon and you're like, but you take time to explore things. Then you ask the GM like right before the boss encounter, has it been eight hours yet? And the GM is like going to play to the side of, I guess not. Like right. you, you spent <laughs> it to prepare for this thing. So I'll say 15 minutes. Sure. Uh, some BS like that. So his system is that based on the uh, like density of danger in the encounter mm. determines the die size. So almost no danger, D4, heavily like guarded area or like tons of like teeming monsters, D12, right? Uh, and every time the players take an action to do something that takes time, he puts a die on the table uh, and that represents 10 minutes. It doesn't represent 10 minutes yet, but every time the players say, oh, I want to search the room and unlock this trap or like we're dealing with this puzzle or we're having this conversation, die hits the table. Mm. It goes up to six die representing an hour. At any point that you would add a die, um, you can roll the dice instead of adding a die. If you hit six, then you have to roll a die the next time you would add a die. Um, when you engage in the roll, that represents an hour or whatever amount of time passes for the number of dice you roll. So if you roll six die, that means an hour has passed now in mm. this moment, um, even though nothing could potentially happen. I think that it's on a six plus something happens in the mm. dungeon on any of the die. And then you remove a die from the pool uh, and you can like play with the narrative of that. Like, oh, you're trying to like, you're at four die and you want to like break out this prison cell. I'm going to see like with these four die if something happens. Right. No, okay, keep going. Um, or yes, something happens. So I really liked that. And that's how I sort of like came to the concept of this time mm. mechanic. And I think what's really interesting is that it's easily translatable to like the clock tech of Blades in the Dark yeah. and stuff like that, or Apocalypse World. Um, and uh you can certainly like say okay instead of like ticking away on the clock or something we can see how many ticks we get after an amount of time just sort of like extend the band of progress if yeah. that's something you wanted to do in your game uh that i really found fascinating i like i liked that a lot and so basically that little action board mm. uh has not only the seconds on it but the token slots are also split into 10 minute increments and then uh one hour increments and this is kind of stolen from uh index card rpg mm. where they do turns around the table but you can take moments minutes or hours to do something and i was like oh that's really fascinating so maybe then when you are exploring the dungeon you have like certain explore skills or something mm. like that every time you put one on the action board, that's 10 minutes or whatever. Gotcha. Um, and then basically what that all amounts to is again, a failure state. Like if you can't explore the dungeon within this amount of time, you burnt a day, which lessens the amount of potential successes mm. that you have for the big campaign, right. right? Everyone's on a clock in the real world. Like everyone has timings <laughs> for things. You know, I have a month before I have this project due. Uh, I'm going on vacation at this time, so I have to do all this stuff, or I have to do it after or something. We have mm. to wait out the winter before we can start stuff for spring, right? Like, 
there are all these time facets that I think kind of get lost in the nebulous of theater of the mind abstraction. And I'd love to like find a space that is more mechanically operative of those things and uh, can kind of scale up and down depending on what you're doing. That's sick. Pizza guy mentions uh, thoughts <laughs> uh, that they really love uh, in the charge RPG uh, dealing with the momentum. I I haven't looked at the charge RPG. I gotta look at that. It's a there. It's an SRD. It's all online. It just came out recently. And mm-hmm. yeah, I know momentum is like a big part of it because they also mentioned like the idea of momentum and progress clocks in Ironsworn. And I know you're a big Ironsworn guy i admittedly still know nothing about iron sworn so uh <laughs> i have no idea if it's relevant to the conversation or not but i know you're an iron sworn uh guy is there irons do you feel iron sworn inspirations in some of the stuff that you're doing yeah yeah absolutely uh it was a combination of like the milestone system that i really liked in how it uh in iron sworn for those who don't know the progress system mm-hmm. is you have 10 boxes on the progress check. They're called progress boxes. Um, And to fill a box, you need four tick marks. You need like four lines in it. And that counts as filling the box. Mm. There are five different ranks of challenges from troublesome to epic. And depending on the rank of the quest or whatever in the progress track determines how many ticks you do mm. whenever you engage in a progress move so if a move says mark progress and you're on a troublesome quest you fully fill three of the 10 boxes at some at any point if you're like okay i have six out of 10 boxes filled that's uh in iron swan the resolution system is that you roll a d6 and add your modifier to it and then you roll 2d10 and if the two uh, for every two for every d10 underneath the rolled six is a success Mm. so if none are rolled under the action die uh that's uh called a miss if one is under the action die that is a weak hit and then if both are under that's a strong hit and the system sort of balance that you can never beat a 10 because it has to be under not meet and under uh so you there's always a chance for failure when it comes to the system but at any point on your progress track, you can in- initiate like uh, getting your, I think the move is called getting your objective or not getting your objective, but something like that. Yeah. And it's like, now you're rolling against that progress track for those D10s with no modifier. So you roll against that six progress, mm. roll the two D10s, and then your quest is either complete or there's oh. still more you have to do, or you have to erase progress boxes because you missed and there's still way more you have to do that you didn't know. And for the difference of example, an epic quest, whenever you mark progress, you only mark one tick in a box and you can only roll against entire filled boxes for your progress moves. You have to get like you have to really work 40 at ticks it. Yeah. or whatever. Like you have a, a shit ton more. Um, and that can, they do the same thing for monsters as well. Monsters have progress tracks that depending on their rank, you fill up whenever you score a hit or something mm. like that. So that's like the Iron Sworn milestone progress. Yeah, that I was very inspired by. Like, I loved how it sort of like expanded and contracted whenever you needed it for a different imagined scenario. Yeah, that's cool. Umbral Dive is sounding so 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 dang cool, and it sounds like this version. Yes, this version. I mean, so 
I, I, I don't dare ask uh, how, you know, does this version feel like it's got some stability or do you feel already the pull of just like, it's time to uh, <laughs> time to crash and burn and make, make uh, Umbral Dive 9? No, this is this one has felt good in playtest. It does a lot of the things I want it to do, at least on the combat nice. level of things. Uh, just to sort of like to further go on. The other part of it is I, I want to make like a box set. I love like the idea mm. of all these little tokens that you can get for different adventures, campaigns. You know, I release a dungeon. It has unique bosses in it. You get all these special tokens specific to that boss. Um, it's just fun stuff yeah. that you can make. You can make, like, I imagine the uh, booster pack version of mm. tokens, essentially. Yeah. Uh, get your boss and, and token deck thing. Um, just to give a shout out, uh, PizzaGuy19 said it's Fulfill Your Vow Move. Mm. That's what it's called for the progress move. But um, yeah, it has its legs. And like, if you were doing like a mob encounter, mobs are way less complex, complex than bosses, right? Mm. Common enemies instead of like putting a move on the token board, you just put an enemy on the token board and that represents it taking its attack in that round. Right. And they may also have like telegraph moves and some will be different sizes. You can fit more attacks in one second. Like if you're fighting eight enemies, maybe you fight like three really fast goblins is a part of that. And they all fit in second three. Like, you know, you're about to take a ton of damage in second three or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That I'm so I'm so dang excited about this game, Jeremy. I can't I can't wait. I I gotta. I'm still on winter break for like two more weeks, so I gotta get on one of these play tests now that we've gotten past the the holiday season for the most for sure. part. Oh, uh, you're on it, dude. <laughs> I do like Dice Ghost's idea of like boss cards with a pattern on the back, cracking open yeah. those booster packs. Oh yeah, there we go. You got the pattern right there. I'm here to grift, baby. I'm here to grift. I, I exactly. I want you to come out as your first game, just this full, beautiful box set. You're like, I'm Jeremy Gage. I'm here. I'm making games. <laughs> Check it out. Uh, Honestly, uh, if Emerald Dive ever comes to finish, like it's gonna be the like the D and D style model. Like I'm not making a different game. You're just gonna get an absolute shit game. ton of supplements for this game. I I mean that's but that's where my brain is at for this next that's for 2022. 2022 is the year where I continue to make Nova shit. Like yeah. I've I don't think I have it in my brain to make a whole other new ass thing. I'm just like nope. I'm just gonna make Nova stuff and it's gonna be really fun doing that and I'll be happy. Except mm -hmm. for Void. I'm gonna do Void too. Um, yeah. but I'm I'm gonna have some help on that. Um, and <laughs> Roland is waiting for the next light season, which is probably inevitable. Where I'll just be like, well. I said I was done, but I'm a liar. I'm a notorious liar about that, so I'm back. Um, oh, I missed MV's question. Uh, do you think it's compatible with any dungeon, or is it a unique system for dungeon structure as well? well that's a, it's an interesting question. Like, Could people use some of the tech that you're working with with their favorite RPG system, or is it... I think you could. I think that it would take a little bit of like translation uh, work. mechanic shenanigans, right? Like yeah. if you were to, you know, as a big example, if you were to try to port Umbral Dive stuff into D&D 5th edition, mm -hmm. right? You might just, instead of like doing patterns, you might take the individual actions and look at those. Um, 
and just adjust like the DC stuff that is so common for monster attacks, right? Like yeah. in that um in that Ifrit example, maybe whenever he does the eruption, uh you make a deck save mm-hmm. instead of having to move out of it. That would represent moving out of it. Um one thing that might not be as easy is the uh I think what's interesting now that you you propose that you and MV propose this question, I would like to see a D&D that uses this interlevied turn thing where like everyone's planning like a bunch of turns at once and then we just execute. Um one idea that I fiddled with is uh role priority. So in in uh oh, oh. I guess a fun thing is class class design for the game. So whenever you pick a uh class mm. in Umbral Dive, you are picking a strategy and then you have three classes within that class that are different tactic sets. So the one I have currently mocked up right now is the gun right, which is a combination of for any Final Fantasy fans out there, uh, the gun, the gunbreaker, uh, the sage, and the machinist, uh, which are all for those who don't know. Uh, the gunbreaker is a tank. They use a gun blade and they have like cool explosive animations. The idea is that you're blocking attacks at like the perfect moment and then firing off gun mm-hmm. shells to make the explosion give you extra impact or parry power or speed um the machinist is like a sniper slash like rifle user they have a bunch of tech and they also summon robots and then the sage uses these funnels they're like floating guns if you will is the best the best layman terms i can do to describe it floating lasers and you use these lasers to attack And when they attack, they're also extracting like aether from enemies and you use that aether to heal your allies. Mm. So all of their healing is through damage. Um, I appreciate you always saying, for those of you who don't know, because I am those who don't know. So so I'm taking inspiration from a game called Final Fantasy 13 that has a mechanic called the Paradigm Shift System. And uh, in that game, you play as uh, a combination of three at any time of seven main characters. And each of those characters have six roles within them. Some are better at roles than others. For example, there's a character called Snow, who is really good at the Sentinel role, which is all tanking, but does are, typically does no damage except for counter damage. So the idea is this like job switch system where you're playing the gun right strategy and you're locked into certain tactics each round. So like this round, I want to be the gun breaker. I want to tank. Next round, we need to push threshold damage. So I'm going to switch the machinist so I can do extra damage with everyone else. Oh, we took a bunch of damage this turn. I'm going to switch the sage next round and try to heal some folks up. And they have like interlinking resources. Like the gun breaker uses light shells, which when used produces a heat gauge the machinist uses the heat gauge to execute strong fire attacks. Mm. And then when that heat hits a target, it expands light. So then when you switch the sage, they can harvest that light and use it for their healing spells. And then they get more light shells when they bring in the light. So it's just like the idea behind the strategy is a cyclical class that kind of like dances and ranges and switches all these resources around. Um, so to answer the question of could this be used in other games, I think that one key thing that you would be fighting against 
in the translation is how the game is designed to operate in this interlevied turn yeah. order. I don't know if it would work as well in like a standard fixed turn order, or even if you like shifting initiatives or action initiative slots like in Emberwind. Right. As long as one player is going one at a time, I don't think you'd be able to capture the same feel. But you could probably use the time tech for anything. I think the time tech is applicable sure. to any game. Um, so that I, I think that's my answer. MV, does that satisfy you? <laughs> is MV satisfied? Yeah, Pizza yeah. Guy, uh, the game that Jeremy is talking about is his uh, game in progress, Umbral Dive. It's going to be very cool. I can fight it. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to say, uh, do you have cool... Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna look to the future here to your box set uh, idea. Uh, I'm I'm thinking about what your game looks like in the end. Do you have a sense of uh, art that you're going for here? Because I I will say this. I'm just gonna throw the. Oh wait, because it's wait it's. Are you gonna do miniatures? Like if uh, it's so... like or like paper tokens? I just realized yeah. like wait it, my brain just broke trying to think about art here because it's it's a ruler system. uh so yeah uh i'm playing with the idea uh because facing and flanking is also important to this game because if a boss is going to use a conal attack from its front you need to know where it's right you can't just decide where its front is um in something like that so i'm gonna have uh these little uh i'm thinking about wooden square tokens oh that like one corner has an arrow signifying this is the front and they have like a cool like burn etching inside of them so like it's like a little picture um so that's like the token thing classes will have their own specific tokens and stuff Mm. and then uh as far as like paper tech is concerned uh i've already made some mock-ups of like these circles that have 45 90 180 270 and is a full 360 degree circle in different sizes uh and you like chop along the dotted line to the middle and you can fold this in for whatever cone size you need. Mm. So that's a cool paper tech on the classes. They are going to be like brochure style folds. So you always know like what tactic you're in when you need to be in it. And you're not like distracted by the other ones if you don't want to be. Um, And the little action boards are like printouts that you can slot into your character sheet. Like there's some cool paper Mm. tech there. Uh, as far as art is concerned, I mean, because Final Fantasy has like it runs the gamut in terms of like I think it, of like old school pixel art stuff. I think of like yeah. obviously the new stuff as well. Like what's the because uh, this is obviously Final Fantasy inspired. Uh, Gabe, what 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 like what era calls to you in terms of the art direction? I would say the the seven to fourteen style art, like the very. Um, it almost has like this art nouveau, um, and this what do I want to call it? Like, kind of dream like vignette mm. energy about like the character, uh, drawings and designs. Um, you can look up any of the Final Fantasy 14 classes and like see some of yeah. the art that I'm talking about. Um, especially the one of the bard is really cool. So I'm thinking about what I'm thinking about is like flat art nouveau tarot card mm, style cool. design, like major arcana design, stuff like that. 
Um, I think that would be a really interesting make of the game. A lot of the setting is uh, inspired by the five colors of Magic the mm. Gathering. So uh, just sort of like this tarot card feel yeah. is the idea. Cool. I dig that a lot. Awesome. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, Jeremy. Umbral Dive is going to be very, very cool. I love it. Uh, uh, for Dan Phipps out there, I did make a custom ruler. Ah, there we go. There's the official Umbral Dive ruler. Uh, yeah. Add that as a, a stretch goal or an add-on to the Kickstarter yeah. campaign. For $50, you can get the Umbral Dive ruler. Handcrafted by the Jeremy Gage. 10,000 for this bad Signed book. and numbered. He's only making 10 of them. Uh, there you go. 10,000 10, uh, each. 10, 10 of them. You're funded, baby. Yeah, done. <laughs> uh, I know we're coming up on the top of the show here, Spencer, but how about like coffee break is a part of you. How, how has like the holiday like break giving you for Nova stuff? How's like the void conversation going? Yeah. Like how's all that? Well, um, thanks for asking Jeremy. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's good. Um, I got this yesterday, which I got Haunted Almanac yesterday, which Ooh. I am. I don't know if you've seen this making the rounds or not. Uh, not so uh, Nate Tremay, who is also known as Highland Paranormal Society. No. Um, mm -hmm. This is basically an almanac of all the stuff Nate has been making over the last, like over a four year period or something like that. It's 2018 to 2021. Uh, so mm -hmm. it's like Tunnel Goons and all the Tunnel, tunnel Goon stuff that's been made uh all the one page games like mecha dudes and all of that stuff uh it's so freaking good uh i love it um so anyway i've been reading that and it's it's such a cool idea of just like here's an anthology of just all the stuff that i made over a period of time like put together in like a uniform unified structure uh it's such a cool idea like obviously i don't have the output to put together something like this but i love the idea of like designers making anthologies like you know if i if you make especially if you make stuff at the sort of scale that nate does which is like here's my one page game or like a couple of page adventure sort of stuff like it's such a brilliant idea i love it um but stuff that i've been doing um i've been having that jeremy it's 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 a it's a it's a problem it's a problem. Um, I, I can't turn off the design brain. So it's like, uh, like, I can't, like, I can't, like, not be thinking and wanting to do it all the time. So, like, the last two days I've been over at my parents' place. Um, and it's been nice. But also the whole time I'm just like, yeah, but, you know, it could be, you know, writing something right now. <laughs> and I'm not writing something right now. Um so I wish I, I that's that would be a, a thing that I'd like to get more under control uh, going <laughs> forward. Um, but it has been nice. I have been having uh, the last week or two. Also, thank you very much, everybody who's being very kind to me about having output. Uh, <laughs> um, the last two weeks, um, I've been having a lot of really good progress with the Nova Faction turn. It also has gone through. Uh, the multiple version sort of thing that Umbral Dive is, where I was just like, I, it's it's a, a whole new thing, and then it's kind of like, now it's moving kind of back in the direction to where it almost started, but not fully, so it's we're almost going full circle, but it's in a much better place. It should hopefully be like 
I can get a playtest going next week. I've been running um play by post playtests for it, so it's not because it's not something that we need to all be actively sitting there doing at the same time. So I'm hoping to get another one of those going. Um, that's my that and like my goal of just doing Nova seasons next year. Like that's my kind of 2022 plan is just be like I'm gonna just make cool stuff for Nova. Um, see how that works. Yeah, Dice Ghost was uh one of the people who played the play by post. Uh, and it was cool. It, yeah, it did, it did work for that. Um, so I'm excited using some of the, like the because we, you and I have had these conversations of the past about like season pass or like live games or whatever we want to call them, that sort of thing. Like mm. as a as a cool, unique way to borrow from our inspirations of video game tech. Because I think you and I are so obviously inspired by computer and video games in our RPG design, like and just wearing that more on the sleeve is mm -hmm. and i was also talking about on stream the other week about how i think that just generally works better for me like it works at the scale that i like to work at of like it works at a time frame that works for me and it works with my abilities because i'm trying to keep it mostly in-house next year mm -hmm. as well rather than like trying to put together a huge dream team it was great putting together the nova dream team but it was also like a lot of work and i'm also doing mm -hmm. that with the slayers almanac and it's like mm -hmm. can i just do this stuff can i just do it go back to like how i used to do it on my own mm -hmm. um so that's that's the plan i'm excited about that void i'm very excited about uh Void's gonna be cool it's this it's the spiritual successor to light it's basically i'm gonna lift light up rules wise like in integrating lumen tech because light was written when lumen didn't exist um mm. and then uh bringing it to a, a setting that is more in line with something that is of mine and josh hitty's creation because josh uh, i have asked to work on light with me because uh, when i think of weird occult space stuff i think of josh hitty uh who just released vibe check uh, uh also known for like extra causal and stuff like that so that'll be my big game but it'll be big but i'll be working with somebody else so it won't be horrible yeah. um that's yeah. the plan that's my plan but you know jeremy i put together um god last year no this year we're still in 2021 uh, <laughs> i put together a um I had the the hubris, the audacity to try and map out like five months of like work. Like, here's my projects. Here's where I want to hit mm -hmm. over the next five months. And then like, I don't know, three weeks later, I was not even close to that. I was like, well, I've abandoned most of these ideas. I'm onto this thing, which is a whole new thing. So like, I've kind of learned that I need to stop trying to plan it out as far out as I am trying to plan it out. <laughs> Just like, let it go. Because honestly, like next week could roll around and I could be like, Okay, I just read Haunted Almanac, and I want to just write a bunch of adventures now. I want to, like, see if I can do what Nate did and just, like, have, you know, what's my spin on it. And mm. I was I was thinking that literally right before we started, where I was like, well, the season pass thing for Nova doesn't really fit this uh, adventure stuff. But, like, what if I just once a month made a really cool striker mission for Nova? And I was like, yeah, I, I could do that. It's not really part of the plan, though. And that's okay, <laughs> right? Like, it's okay to just give up on... <laughs> my plans and just yeah. like go where go where the go where the juice is to use a, yeah. a, a jeremyism right there follow the juice dude hashtag juice nation for any of my juice nation folk out there follow the juice is hashtag juice in the chat hashtag juice nation in the chat please thank you <laughs> follow the juice is very good advice 
uh, and it's going to be a, uh, I think that's going to be my 2022, my, that'll be my, mo <laughs> my mantra throughout the year. It'll just be, where's the juice? Let's follow the juice. <laughs> the juice must flow. Where Dr. Flo come? <laughs> so I seek the juice. Uh, it's very good stuff. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I'm up to. I'm excited. I've, I've, I mean, I've just been reading so much stuff. So many really, really cool things folks have been like, it just, I mean, it always feels like it's just kind of like the fire hose of really good indie RPGs that are constantly coming out. And you're like, oh, how am I ever going to keep up with it? But like the, because I've been on winter break, I've had the chance to like actually sit down and read some of the stuff that I've been wanting to, or like catching up on it. And it's just like, there's some really good people out there, Jeremy. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's some really, really good designers out there. Um, so that's there's been fun. Some really, really good designers out there. It's true. True facts. And you can hear about a lot of them on Jeremy's podcast, the Drawing Your Dice podcast. Boom. Boom. It. We did it. <laughs> yeah, my reading list is very tall as well, Dan. It's un unreasonably tall. So yeah, yeah, that's me. That's that's where I'm at right now. Um, was there like any stuff that you wanted to talk about that we didn't that we didn't get to? And I, I know we mostly focused on your umbral dive stuff. Is there anything else that you got going on that you wanted to be like, hey, I've been noticing this, or I'm into this? Uh, I think uh, one thing I've sort of co-relating to uh, umbral dive, but really like investigating the trad fantasy game, trad adventure fantasy space, because I think that, I mean, it hasn't been stagnant because there are a ton of indie people who, who make adventure fantasy, but mm. there aren't a lot of them that do like gridded combat or miniatures yeah. or build, design games in that way. It's all very like theater of the mind story stuff. Yeah. Um, the only reason I mentioned that first bit is contextual to like, I've been finding it really fascinating to learn about war game design. Mm. Um, but also the concept of like, why, like why some combat feels better than other combat, not just for tabletop games, but like for video games too. Yeah. Um, thinking about uh, there's a, I think it was angry GM also, Angry GM had a strategy article about how this comes from D&D 4th edition and monsters had roles back in the day mm. um, where like you could have a lurker whose like prime like fundamental design was to uh, circumvent the front line of players to get to the back line a la uh, fast movement, teleportation mechanics. They are mm. melee based typically. Um, you know, there were other ones like artillery who sit at height differences and like to play in areas that are like wide open um and just pelt you from above right. my favorite example that i like to give is the three ogres and uh for example there are three ogres there is a bruiser ogre a healer ogre and an artillery ogre the they're all the same ogre uh, uh sort of like theming right but they all do different things and like as you're playing the encounter uh, the bruiser is at the front line, takes up a large amount of space by being a larger size, has attacks that prevent you from passing, mm -hmm. and like a bruiser strategy is to do a one-two punch sort of thing. A rogue is a really good example of a mm -hmm. one-two punch where they hide, then they sneak attack, 
right? Uh, that's the, they do big damage. Uh, they do big conditional damage. Right. Or they set up bonuses for other people, like a paladin's aura. The healer removes progress. Every time you do damage to the bruiser, the healer's just going to heal them up. While everyone's focusing on the bruiser and the healer, the artillery, who's also doing high damage, is just chucking boulders. Just throwing a ton of AoE boulders at you, and there ain't shit you can do about it right. uh, until you circumvent this. So it's like a puzzle box of an encounter. So that's all to say that I've been finding it really fascinating to think about the strategy and tactics of classes. I'm working on a really big set of articles that talk about class design and trad fantasy and why, like, why Barbarian is not a good class in D&D 5e mm. strictly because it doesn't fit the spectrum of the gameplay. Like D&D 5e is a game that focuses on uh, pathing, targeting, and control. Like those are the three big things. And like you could say damage is the style of control. If you focus fire this thing and it dies, it does no more damage. But when you think about wizards and sorcerers and really any spellcaster, and I'm even talking like the half casters and paladin ranger, mm. they have so many uh, versatile tools to keep monsters controlled, to affect targeting, to affect movement that barbarians and fighters and rogues don't really get. Uh, well, I guess hiding for rogues is kind of a targeting thing, but the others like there is no tanking in in D&D 5e because you can't really taunt. The only taunts that exist are like compelled duel for the paladin and the oath the crown paladins feature of channel divinity where everyone around it has to attack or they can't move further away. But that would still be like a control thing. So like just really looking at that and yeah. thinking about what what does a tactics game look like when you really think about the strategy because D&D 5e is a tactics game. Right. But it it doesn't, not all the classes fit the right mold for that. And I think that uh, environment doesn't really come into play. A really cool thing about D&D 4th Edition is that whenever it talked about a monster role, it also talked about what kind of environment it loves to fight in. Yeah. Like that worker example, they love to fight in areas with like secret doors or like looping paths so they can like disappear one path right. and then come out another one or disappear behind a pillar or something. That's huge for them. So when you, when as a GM, you build that encounter, you have to take into consideration, what does this monster need to succeed? Mm -hmm. Because a monster is never going to fight you on your turf. You're always going to be fighting a monster on their turf and they're right. going to fight where they can survive. Right. They're going to fight dirty. They're going to fight. They're going to not fight in a fair. It'll never be a fair fight. They, if they have their say, they would never be a I fair fight. I don't believe it. No right. such thing as a fair fight. Exactly. Right. There, it just wouldn't happen. I've been thinking, you know, you mentioned the three ogres thing. It reminds me a little bit of stuff that I want to do. I want to talk to Josh about with with uh, Void, which I want to play around with as an inspiration from things like um, Halo. Like Halo is yeah. lauded as like the the group AI. So I like grunts. Yeah, you and I talked about this a long time ago. Exactly. It's been it's been like stuck in my head, and now it's like, hey, remember that talk that you had with Jeremy? It's time to apply <laughs> it. <laughs> of yeah. like, yeah, you know, grunts on their own not very smart they don't do a whole lot they just kind of like run and f like run away or sacrifice themselves um mm -hmm. but the second an elite is around so i'd love to bring that sort of tech to like a thing like light or nova or void of like this is generally how it works with its moves here's some like group comp ai and stuff like that um mm -hmm. so that it's not necessarily giving like a role to the enemies but it is giving a like group dynamic 
like a group yeah. comp sort of thing uh, is very how's cool. a how's a grunt respond when a brute or an elite are present right. how do the covenant respond when the flood are present right. right like how does that all play out yeah it's cool stuff to me you got cool stuff jeremy i think you we've cool i think stuff. we've established over this coffee break that you have cool stuff you have cool stuff big brain we got big brain moments here going big, on <laughs> wrinkly brain oh it's so wrinkly no smooth here so many folds i'm a brainologist i've got just such a wrinkly brain um well hell yeah this has been as expected unbelievably fun and fantastic love <laughs> sorry we've we've grossed out rolling sorry, all our <laughs> wrinkly brain talk um this feels like a good a, a good stopping point i feel like we've we've covered a lot of really good ground the juice has flown if no flowed if you will it has also flown it's go, it's gone the, the juice is yeah. fleeting <laughs> it's, it's a full evaporation cycle right <laughs> so we're waiting we're waiting for it to to percolate into the into the, <laughs> the juice clouds in the sky and great excellent uh jeremy let's let's wrap it up by having you tell the fine folks uh where they can find you and all your cool stuff especially if they're like this umbral dive thing seems pretty neat give it to me uh what would you tell those folks um hey again i'm jeremy gage if you're tuning in on the back half of this uh you can find me at jeremy gage five over on twitter i'm the host of the draw your dice podcast where we talk to indie designers like Spencer, who has been on there two times, soon to be a third in this coming year, for sure, uh, as well as many other alumni. Uh, you can come join the um, come join the DYD server. Uh, you can find links to that in my link tree. You can find a link to that on the YouTube channel, I believe, uh, and any of the podcast episodes, I think, also has the link tree link in it. Um, with the ton of designers oh no uh oh you frozen oh. no we froze for a second i think it was on my end okay it hurt you're good uh, <laughs> but uh we're trying to do we try to do like game night things i've been getting in final fantasy so if you play final fantasy and want to play with me let's fucking do it chief uh, I need the friends, but uh, lots of really cool conversations over there. And we don't talk about just game design things. We think we talk about like the sphere of game design or the industry of game design, talking about like representation. We talk about like printing and uh, we talk about marketing and things like that. Or we have discussions around just philosophical ideas about RPGs. Like what does it mean to be a GM versus the game designer and stuff like that. So um, we do it in a very like, Oh no! I crack down on those who try to. No one's done it yet, but I'm ready, ready to put on my steel toe boots. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. Well, Jeremy, before my internet decides to die completely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, huh, interesting. <laughs> But no, go check out the server. Uh, I put the link tree in chat for folks uh, who are watching now or watching the VOD later. Uh, go check out Jeremy's stuff. Go support him. Uh, really fantastic community person, everything. Uh, Jeremy, thank you again so much for being here. And thank you all for joining us for Coffee Break. Um, I think I know who's next week, but let me double check my calendar real quick while Santa shows up. Uh... <laughs>
we're doing really good vamping right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> it might be Josh, who I was talking about with Void. So we'll find out. <laughs> uh, you all have been wonderful. This has been great. Jeremy, have yourself a wonderful day. And everybody else also have a great morning, afternoon, evening, wherever it is you are. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, oh, oh.